Well, let's do it. Let's um, let's not wait around. Let's bring Alex Pearson in. It's been a uh, I was gonna say it's been a long day. It's been a long uh, <laughs> it's year. A long five months. <laughs> it's been a long five months. But you know what? Today what was today was quite a day. Today, today was quite was a day. Epic. Today was uh, without a doubt. Just uh, if I could freeze that moment when those verdicts came down, if I could bottle it and share it with people, it was amazing. It really, truly was. It's not the happiest ending because obviously Tim is never coming back, but that is the greatest outcome. I mean, this is the greatest tribute we could pay him. What was, and I, I know you've been talking about it, but I'll give you one more chance for anyone who's missed it. What was that moment like in the courtroom? It's very hard to explain. I've always said that um, verdicts are very, very, very riveting. But this one is is so emotional, so wrought with emotion, because essentially everyone's fighting for justice for Tim Bosma, the guy who could not speak for himself. And, and the Crown really, I don't think people understand what they were up against in coming to two first-degree murder convictions. I mean, it is amazing that they were able to accomplish what they did. And you know, it's funny you say that because there are people who through the course of this trial said there is so much evidence that you can't possibly lose this case. It's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's, you, you would have to have massively, this is the, you know, the perception that was out there with the evidence that was presented. And today on CHCH, they did a, a timeline and you look back and you go, yeah, it looks like it would have been hard to make a mess of this. But it was a very robust case, but it was a mainly circumstantial case built on some really good forensics with the cell phone technology showing movements and all the rest of that. But they didn't have a body and they didn't have a murder weapon. And so for a jury to have to come back and decide the fate of two men based on just the word of people, and most of them were liars in this case, was very, very difficult. And they only had one path to first-degree murder because the judge, in a surprise move uh, during the charge, took forcible confinement off, which I I thought was a big, big mistake. And so they really only could come to the conclusion of first-degree murder if they believed that these two men targeted together Tim Bosma to steal, kill, and incinerate. It sounds easy. Look, I I walked into that courtroom five months ago and said, guilty, not a question. Don't ask me anymore. I will never change my mind. And I hadn't changed that. I mean, it was for me, it was always first degree. They were guilty from the second I laid eyes on them. And uh, But a lot of people did believe uh, the story that Mark Smitch, and some people did have doubt, and I was concerned that the jury would get tied up on that. But as soon as I saw Mr. Bosma, Hank Bosma, uh, saying to his, you know, on the, he got a phone call um, at about 1.30, He said, verdict's in. I said, guilty first degree murder because they came back so quickly from deliberations. Um, And so we went into the courtroom and and, you could not cut the tension with a knife. It was so thick, like it was just unbelievable. My my legs started shaking, which it does like when we get really intense. And it just shook, 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 shook because you knew there was so much on the line. I was watching um, Charlene Bosma and she was gripping her skirt in her hands and you could see the knuckles, it was white. Uh, and she was just tears in her eyes and, and the Bosmas were holding each other, the sisters, the brother, all the family, the, the Bosma army, they were just gripping on for dear life, hoping for that conviction. And then when they said it, just gasps of just, it was like five months, three years Five months of relief. We keep using the example because I think for a lot of people, it is the one they can go back to. And we, you know, I know it's not a perfect one, but the OJ Simpson case in a sense, the length of everything else. But when you talk about the gasps and you talk about the tension in the room, in that case, it was not guilty, which caused the gasps. But I'm guessing 
in a lot of ways, it was a very similar kind of moment. You always get a lot of emotion when you get a verdict, no matter what. But in this case, because it's so emotional and people in the community, not just Hamilton, right across this country, really adopted Tim because we were all Tim Bosma. Who hasn't gone online and sold a truck? Who hasn't done something like that on, on an online site? I mean, he was just the everyday guy. He was the guy that was brought up the way you're supposed to bring up a kid. Good kid, part of the community, father, married, part of a great family. He had everything. And then he was gone in such a sinister, sinister way. Why? Because sometimes people just kill. It's so stupid and so uh, thoughtless, it doesn't make any sense. And so everyone related to it. And that's why people really gravitated to the case. And that's why I, I, when I got the chance to cover it, there was no way I was passing up the chance because you don't get to tell these stories very often. I heard today, as well as the verdict, yeah. there was one, well, there's probably more than one, but there was one other really stunning moment in the court today when, yeah. I guess it was just after the verdict, but before the sentencing. Yeah, so the judge broke, uh, so he, the automatic life sentence, so when you get first degree, it's automatic that you're going to jail for life, parole, 25 years, uh, or eligibility, sorry. And the judge said, I-, I need to say some words. He wasn't expecting to do it today. The family had waived victim impact statements, so the judge was caught a little off guard. He wanted some time, so he went away so we took a break for half an hour and when we all left the courtroom outside in the lobby everyone started cheering and chanting for the Bosmas and then the crowns walked out to a rock star like they were rock stars people were so excited that they did this so we left for a little while the Bosmas went around and greeted everybody they hugged all the reporters that they had gotten to know and thanked everybody for what they because that's who they are that's who these people are but we did go back in and neither of the accused uh, had wanted to say anything. But just as Della Millard got into the prisoner uh, bay, he looked at Charlene Bosman. Did he have to turn to do this? Like, was it obvious that oh, he had looked? Oh, it was obvious. Okay. He, I mean, the whole court was packed, and he looked at her, and he really, I mean, he looked at all of us. So it was not uncommon for Dell to make eye contact with you, but he would normally try to kind of endear himself to you. Um, and, but he really looked right to her, like, you just screwed my life up. Like, he couldn't, his money, his, you know, manipulation could not beat this woman. And she looked right back at him, and she put on the widest smile that basically said, you are going to jail. You lose. And it said everything. It was this momentary look between these two, and it was like the mic drop moment. And it was so amazing that everyone started cheering in the courtroom. Yeah, I don't know that, I mean, I wasn't there, you were there. I don't know that that could have happened earlier in the trial. I don't know that she would have been able to do that by the sounds of it earlier Uh, in the trial. But once the verdict is in, she she has all the power then. He he would look at her often and try to make eye contact, and she ignored him. She's a tough, 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 tough cookie. She is one strong. When I think feminism... I think Charlene Bosma. She is everything that epitomizes what feminism is, and I have so much admiration for her. After the trial today, uh, Charlene stepped outside the courtroom, and we're going to play a uh, clip here. Many of you will have already heard this. Some of you won't. This was a little bit of what Charlene Bosma had to say to the media and to some folks who were just from the public, who had just gathered around uh, after the trial about the verdicts and about the two men who killed her husband. This courthouse forced to look at and breathe the same, in the same space with the utter depths of depravity in our society. We have had to endure being near the two men that walked down my driveway on May 6, 2013 and took away the bright life in our lives that was Tim. It is their own unspeakable evil acts 
that have taken away their freedom will saying it is unfair. What is unfair is that now that this chapter is over, we have to truly begin building our lives. What is unfair is that regardless of all that has transpired in the courtroom today, one thing will never change for us. There is one absolute constant for us. This does not bring Tim back. And he will still never come home. For Tim's murderers, their life sentence begins now. And ours began over three years ago when they murdered Tim. That being said, although we endure a life sentence without Tim, we have learned to collectively laugh again, to smile, and embrace what we still have. We have memories, a lot of very beautiful memories. For myself, I made a choice a long time ago. I choose to remind myself that through everything that has happened in the last three years, I am blessed. I still have much for which to be thankful. I was fortunate enough to have spent four and a half years with a wonderful man who for three of those years, I got to call him my husband. He chose me. And I'm always gonna mourn what we're never gonna have, what we're never gonna be able to share together. But I will celebrate what we were able to have because every one of those moments count. I feel honored to have a beautiful child with Tim that calls me mom. And she is our miracle baby in so many ways. I am grateful for the time that Tim and I were able to spend together as our own little family. While Tim may have been stolen, that time never will be. We are all thankful for the village of people that surround us all. upheld us in prayers and in their actions. Our families as a whole have been so very blessed by our communities. Tim and I were surrounded by a circle of friends comprised of incredible, inspiring individuals. They've endured my late night, incoherent, sobbing phone calls in the beginning, staying night after night, been the listening ear for me. They dropped everything to come through every possible road and street in this province when Tim went missing. For my daughter and I, they are our other family. We have unending gratitude to the teams of police officers, detectives, victim services, the Victim Witness Assistance Program, and those incredible Crown Attorneys upstairs. achieve justice for Tim. It is through their hard work and perseverance that we are here at this moment. It was their long days, long days, long nights, and even longer weekends spent away from their families that we were able to achieve today's verdict. Words will never ever fully express 
just how much they are appreciated for doing for just doing their job which they have frequently told us they're just doing their job but they have done it so well each and every one of them will forever hold a very special place in our heart we also have an abundance of thanks for the jury each of them gave so much of themselves to sit on that jury for such a lengthy trial time away from their families their jobs and their daily lives to sit and listen and eventually to come to a judgment. I cannot imagine how stressful and difficult that this has been on them. We have prayed for them every day and will con continue to do so as they re-enter their lives. May you all be blessed. Over the last three years, we had only begun to learn to rebuild to learn to move forward, carrying Tim with us. Now the real work begins, because our story does not end here. That was Charlene Bosma outside the court today. Uh, were you at all surprised by anything she said or surprised by the tone or surprised by anything at all? Ale Alex no. Pearson in studio with me right now. No, I mean, from, from what I've learned about her and, and, and just watched her, she, she is truly just um, one of the strongest people I have ever, ever met. The whole family really, really touched me and I will really, really miss seeing them. They're just in a category of their own. You always develop relationships with those that you, you meet through these victims of violent crime. You, you're touched by all of them, but the Bosmas are the kind of people that make you want to be better. They make you realize, geez, um, I can turn a tragedy into something that's not about me. I mean, they give back. These are people that are going through the worst hell listening to the end of Tim Bosma's life, and who are they asking, are you okay? People like me who are trained to do this kind of stuff. You know, they would check on us all the time to see if we are okay. And that's just who they are. They give back. You know, if it was someone's birthday, there was a reporter birthday today, and what do they do? They made sure that she had a nice birthday celebration. And they did that throughout the trial where they're supposed to be thinking about themselves, and it was always about someone else. And so that's who the Bosmas are. I mean, Charlene Bosma should be able to wallow in self-pity, and no one would judge her. And what does she do? She's giving her life back as a legacy to Tim Bosma, to victims of violent crime. I mean, that's who she is. You covered this whole trial. Were you back three years ago when this whole yeah. thing first happened? Had I mean, you were aware of it. I you knew had, the case. Certainly, you I was had covering seen politics, her, so it wouldn't have been a beat. But you had seen her on sure. TV. Yeah. Has she, in your mind, changed? Because she has been a, someone who had no training, had no expectation, gets thrust into the public eye. Yeah. That often can be daunting for a lot of people. She seems now... And I think more than back when this first started, and that makes sense, very, very confident. She's very confident. She's very tough. Something that should have defeated her and mostly does to victims of violent crime. People can come out of these things extraordinarily destroyed. Uh, she has taken this and somehow turned it into something positive. And look, this family, there's no question, today may be happy and celebratory because of the verdicts. This question, this family has an enormous amount of grief to work through, and that will settle in as the media goes away, as as the, the lights fade and the world, you know, kind of becomes quiet for them. They're going to go through a whole new level of grief, and she's going to have to deal now uh, with closing this chapter and, and trying to move on with her life. So there's no question they've still got a lot of pain to work through, but 
I just can't really put it into words um, how touched uh, I have been by them. We're going to go to a quick break here. Uh, Just before we do, uh, email in from Shirley talking about the Bosma case today. I can't read the whole thing. It's quite long, but let me just take two parts out of this. One, uh, this was a heinous crime committed by two sick individuals who carried out their cold, calculated so-called mission as if they were in a fantasy world that unfortunately the outcome of was all too real. I feel sorry for the Bosma family and friends and also have some compassion for the backlash the family and friends of Millard and Smith might receive. We'll get to that when we come back after the break. The other part, she says, though, besides thanking Alex Pearson for her comprehensive and easy-to-understand daily summation of events. So there you go. You have yep. a fan. Thank you. Is, what did she say here? I am not a vindictive person, but in this case, being murdered in prison would be too easy a way out for them. I hope every day they're in prison, they suffer the most awful torture at the hands of the other prisoners. Well... Shirley, how do you really feel? Yeah, well, look. But I don't think that's probably an unusual or an uncommon feeling that a lot of people are saying, this better not end up being a club-fed kind of prison oh, no, for no, these no, guys. No, no. This better be a, uh, a tough go. They've got go. two other murder charges. Uh, yeah. well, or Millard does. Smith has one other murder charge that they've got to face. And those two people, Mr. Wayne Millard and Laura Babcock, they too deserve their day in court. We will talk about that when we come back on the Scott Radley Show. Stay with us. Today wrapped up five, five and a half, whatever, as we lost track of months covering the Bosma trial every single day. Um, it was, I mean, it was absolutely a grind. An interesting comment that was, um, that was made by the, by the person who wrote in just before the break about the sympathy. Do you have any sympathy after going through this? Not for Smith and Millard. I know Good you don't. God, no. But for their families. Because it, oftentimes in murder cases, mm-hmm. in horrible cases, the family that didn't do anything wrong also in some kind of weird way become victims as well. Yeah, their lives do. I mean, you have to kind of take yourself away from it and think, okay, their life is no easier. Uh, Smitch's sister and mother showed up quite a lot, um, and we left them alone. I found myself one day in the bathroom face-to-face with mom, and uh, you want to, you know, instinctually you want to say, ugh, what did you raise there? He's a piece of garbage. But you know what? She's suffering. She's lost a son. And she will forever know that her son killed another human being, that someone that everyone loved. So and she potentially herself, worse for Millard. Yeah. And um, and Mama, as I always call her Mama Millard. Her name is Madeline Burns. She didn't show up at all. There was uh, Obviously, she was subpoenaed, so she couldn't come to the court proceedings. But even when she could have and been cleared, she did not come, likely because she was worried about the intense media concentration. But... Uh, her life is destroyed. You know, her life is forever destroyed. What I really found interesting today as the verdict came down was, and people who were watching on TV or listening to you on the radio as you were talking and you could hear in the background horns honking and people cheering, there was this great sense that the justice system worked. Yep. And I'm wondering if the next time we have a big case where we, at the end of it, don't get the verdict we like, and we say, look, the justice system doesn't work. If today's a day you should point to and say, listen, it works. It just doesn't always work to the way that you would want it to work. Or is that too simple? Well, look, I mean, I was gravely concerned that Mr. Smitch would get second degree based on the fact that the judge took forcible confinement off the table, which I, I thought was a huge mistake. Thankfully, we got first degree convictions. If we hadn't, um, it would have been a devastating blow. But look, the Crown had an uphill climb. It is the, the the Crown has to prove its case. The defense does not have to prove innocence. The Crown has to prove guilt. And when the judge took forcible confinement off, I thought, what in God's name is going on with the judge? Because how do we know Tim wasn't forcibly confined? He's in a truck with two men uh, who have guns. 
And so were you there? I mean, do you know Tim didn't try to get out of that truck? We don't know that for certain, but the judge felt that there was no evidence to support forcible confinement, which to me was a huge error. And so this jury, and and thank God they came back with what they did, but they were able to work through and obviously didn't buy the crap and I call it crap, and I think I'm being generous, that Smitch was trying to sell. And, and as it drove me crazy because people would t- ask me all the time, you know, I kind of believe him. And I would like, you do not believe him. He's a liar. He's a drug-dealing, you know, career criminal liar, loser. What's to believe? What part, what part of yeah. his story? Because I know earlier yeah, today, you, you're calling it crap now. Earlier today, it was garbage. I think they all fall under the same category. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, but now you know, I can say it. Now you can say it. What part, if there is a part of his story stood out to you as the most unbelievable in the narrative that he was trying to. But is is there a part when you really, you're in court and you, give me one example of a part when you rolled your eyes and go, (laughs) how can he possibly be trying to pitch this to these people? Well, I rolled my eyes so much, like I'm pretty sure that they're staying back in my head at this point because, (laughs) you know, for me with him, it was this BS, you know, about the gun. It really, you know, that to me... Personally, that gun is somewhere on the streets. I am I am quite convinced he sold that gun, and it's probably out on the streets somewhere. But th- that's just my opinion. Um, I didn't believe anything about him not knowing where that gun is. I didn't believe anything about the fact that he's saying he wasn't in the truck. Of course he was. I mean, it was just there was nothing I believed about his story. Not one word that came out of his mouth that I believed. Did I not? I didn't feel sorry for him. He would look at me, uh, and not just me, but he looked at all the reporters. Like when the jury was gone, he would make eye contact with you. And he would just stare right into you. And I, I'm accustomed to that with the accused because you kind of play this cat and mouse game. But his eyes were dead. His eyes were really dead and creepy. I found him to be more sinister than Millard. Millard to me was an opportunistic, ego-driven uh, maniac who, who, could, who, who didn't have the maturity or anything. I mean, he was just a lost cause. But Smitch to me was the more, more sinister of the really? two. Really? Because I, I interpreted it the opposite from that because my interpretation following it from the distance that I was at, not in the courtroom, was that Millard was this manipulative oh, he is. person who, they're, 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 who was more dangerous. See, he seemed to me to be more dangerous. Well, Smitch was, was just kind of... No, he was the conduit. He was the cash. He was the opportunity. Smitch was to me so much, just from his appearance, like sitting straight up with like this rod down his back, always with his fingers crossed, looking like Mr. Preppy Schoolboy, always looking at the jury, never moved a muscle. We came to know Mr. Millard as, as just like off the hand, like he was not controllable. From day one. From day one. He was the, the, but the smiling. But Smitch was really playing this, like I'm just Mr. Misunderstood, like mm. Preppy Schoolboy. No, you're not. You're did a he, thug. You're a killing thug. Did he make a... Uh, by the way, if you have a question or you have a comment uh, for Alex, 905-645-3221 or star 9900. And of course, you can always send me an email, radley at 900chml.com. Alex is here till the end of the hour. Did Smitch make a mistake by testifying? Um, well, look, uh, to me, you know, they crafted a narrative based on the fact that forcible confinement was on the table. Without for like his story was that he was not in the truck, so therefore he couldn't be part of any forcible confinement, and then that came off the table, and that wasn't a factor anymore. Um, did he make a mistake in testifying? No, you know who made the mistake? Della Millard by not, not testifying. testifying. Why? Mm-hmm. Well, because he could have crafted his own narrative and at least had a chance to make contact with that jury, and I think it was a colossal mistake for him not to. Now, part of that's out of greed, because I wanted to hear him face the fire of the Crown, who I thought just did a superb job, and I really think Hamiltonians 
in general should understand what they've got in Tony Leach, in in Brett Moody, and as well as Craig Fraser. I thought they were outstanding in the job that they did. Um, but there's no question that uh, Millard should have gotten on the stand, and he didn't. I think that was a big mistake. Let's go to Tony Leach for just a second. We had a uh, clip from earlier today, right after the, again, after uh, court recessed and the verdict had been handed down. Tony Leach was speaking to the media outside on the front steps of the court. Let's go to that now. I want to thank the police and I want to thank my colleagues. I want to thank everybody involved in the case. Um, we worked very hard, but uh, it was all worth it because Tim Boswell was a good man and he deserved everything we gave. Mr. Leach, with the defense having each such different stories about what happened to you, what do you think it was that convinced the jury that your version of events beyond a reasonable doubt? I don't know what convinced them beyond a reasonable doubt. I'm just glad they were convinced beyond a reasonable doubt. Uh, I think it was the right result. As they say, justice has been done in our community. I want to thank everybody uh, who was involved. I want to thank the defense lawyers who were uh, uh, very professional. I want to thank the judge. Uh, but especially I want to thank the jury because uh, they worked very hard in this case. So we're not going to have a lot to say other than that. Uh, but we thank all of you for uh, being with the Bosma family during this uh, very difficult time. And uh, we really appreciate uh, the coverage of the press. And uh, uh, we really appreciate uh, everything that uh, the Bosley family did to support this case. And that's about it. That's something we discussed with the family. And uh, the sentence is mandatory. And uh, it's something that should be done uh, as soon as possible. So that's... Anyway, we don't have a lot more to say. Mr. Leach, Mark already says he's going to appeal this. It's automatic. I don't want to talk about that. I'm not sure people uh, understand how Thank you very much. We're going to go back and uh, continue uh, to discuss the case. And uh, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you. They're being modest. That was Crown Attorney Tony Leach. He, on outside, was a man of very few words. Yeah, was and, he a man and, of few words in the court, too? Yeah, no, look, th- we had a great relationship with the Crown, which is unusual because the Crowns really don't uh, trust a lot of times the media. I mean, look, they, they've got a big job to do. But these guys, Hamilton is so well served by all three of them and owe them a huge debt of gratitude. They just did an outstanding job. And they are being humble, I think, uh, in, in the accomplishment that they, they did because they had an uphill battle all the way, uh, just trying to get a lot of evidence didn't go in that should have. The fact that there were two guns, the fact that uh, you got Malone saying this gun's going to come back a dirty girl, essentially saying I'm going to use it to kill. Uh, look, a lot of things, and there are a lot of things I can't talk about still uh, because of the other two trials, but they had everything working against them, and they did an outstanding job. And I think the one big thing they did was tell the jury, don't worry about who pulled the trigger. You don't need to figure that out. And if you go there and try to figure that out, you're in the weeds. You've lost the point. And doing that made it real simple for this jury. Let's go to the phone for a second. Frank is on the line. Frank, how are you tonight? I'm great. Very well, thanks, uh, Scott. I trust you are, too. Alex, i got to just commend you, super commend you, for your your reporting job on this. I know it was an arduous task, to say the least. And I tell you, amongst many, uh, I just... uh, falling to worship you for your job that's so well done. Uh, question is, how do you feel uh, in your own mind, Scott and, and, and uh, Alex yourself, as to how the jury would feel now that they have been uh, out of the closure situation and they can see now that Millard is a suspect, more than a suspect, of the, of the uh, killing of his father and Sarah Bob, uh, Babcock? 
Frank, thanks for the call. I'm going to uh, cut you off there, and I'll let uh, I'll let Alex answer that. How, how do you think the jury, if you have, if you can guess, if you can put themselves in their minds now that they get out of there, and some of them anyway by now probably have learned there was some stuff they didn't know when they were yeah. in their deliberations. And I thank you so much for your uh, your your comments. I mean, look, CHML is a, is owed a huge um, thanks because really outside the box thinking of this coverage, you know, the program director really kind of went out and everyone wanted to make this story a big one to serve the community. So the thanks goes to the station. But um, I think if they'd come back with anything second degree and, and then got out and heard the rest of it, if they'd come back with something lesser for Mark Smith, I think many of them would have probably felt duped, which is generally it's kind of normal. There's never a case that doesn't have a what you didn't hear scenario. In this case, we don't thankfully have to have them go home and say, oh, gee, I didn't know that. Um, So in this case, it worked. But had they come back with anything lesser than first degree and heard some of the stuff out there, I think a lot of them would have been like really, really plagued by that because they're going to go home now. And they're going to start hearing all of this mass coverage and seeing all the social media and family and friends telling them this. Now, there's no question some of them will already have some kind of gauge of, of Laura Babcock uh, and Wayne Millard. They'll, they'll, they'll already have known something like that. Um, but for those that have no idea, I mean, it will really kind of stay in their mind. But certainly, I think the hardest thing for this jury is going to be coping with the after effects of hearing all of the devastating detail. For someone like me, it's not as hard because I've heard it before and you kind of get, you know, a bit of a, a coping mechanism in it. But for av- everyday average people, knowing the weight of this, uh, it'll be difficult for them to kind of just recalibrate, get back to their life. It's a life. long time. A you've been focused on time. one thing. It's and a now lot you've to been... hear for people that aren't used to it. Just before we go to the break, this for, m- I don't know about for you, uh, but for many people following along, this was the first Canadian trial because we've seen U.S. trials on TV and things yeah. like that but it's really the first Canadian trial for many people that they were able to follow along not on TV but with Twitter in real yeah. time with you and Molly and Susan and everyone yeah. else firing and they all off. they did an outstanding job too. How do you think that changed people's perception, people's interest, people's engagement in this whole thing, that essentially you didn't have to wait till you came out of the courtroom at lunch break or after and tell a story. You didn't have to wait for Molly or Susan to put their story online for CHCH. You could know moment by moment what was happening. How did that affect, you think, people's engagement in this? Well, certainly kept the pressure up on us. I mean, it was an enormous job. And, and I don't, halfway, like about a month ago, I got a thumb infection in my right thumb <laughs> that was so bad, I was having really bad problems uh, tweeting and writing. Um, I so anything on the right side of the QWERTY keyboard the right, got well, missed. It was so painful. My arm was cramping up and throbbing. I ended up, thank God we weren't sitting uh, in the last couple of weeks every day because I ended up having to go to the hospital almost every day from here and getting like going in for surgical procedures. It was a nightmare. <laughs> and at one point, Susan Claremont had a, a, an injury in her arm, uh, a really bad one that she was having issues. I mean, and it was like, you didn't realize till you tried to do things like, oh yeah, right. Who knew like, there was such thing as courtroom injuries? <laughs> I know exactly. It was uh, it was kind of humorous at one point, but um, social media, there's no question, um, made this the case that everybody could follow. I, I got thousands of followers. I wasn't on Twitter before this case, and I got like three thousand followers of people ju- just simply wanted to be there and couldn't, so they were able to follow us along, and it was huge, huge. Quick break. Uh, we will continue with Alex Pearson after this. If you're interested, again, let me give you the numbers. If you have a question for Alex, you just have a comment, you want to jump in, 905-645-3221, star 9900, or Radley, R-A-D-L-E-Y, Radley at 900CHML.com. Quick break. Back with more with Alex after this. Back in the Scott Radley Show in studio. 
with the wonderful reporter who's been doing the uh, I was trying to think of the right word I, and you know like intrepid popped to mind and I was like who says intrepid anymore you know really so I, I'm not going to use that one it's, it's one of those words that you should be wearing a fedora it's the intrepid reporter there should be some sort of cigar and yeah. uh, smoky room when you use a word like that the good old days um did you ever get the sense, we got a bunch of, we're going to get to the phones and to the emails in just a second. Did you ever get the sense going through this? Because there was, I think there was definitely a risk that this becomes entertainment, mm-hmm. this becomes a soap opera, this becomes something where you can mm-hmm. get your daily drama to follow. Did sure. you ever get the sense that this became that? No, not at all. Not at all. They were really careful about uh, keeping it in check, and just given the you know the sinister nature of this this crime, no one ever wanted to make you know light of it. There was certainly, I mean, there's certainly a, like funny stories. Like for instance, Arthur, uh, you remember Arthur Smitch's quote unquote bitch who went and was told to do everything. Like this was the guy that Smitch relied on to you know no one liked him, so they kind of just abused him, made him go get the gun, and maybe you know. Well, he's now named Anne because he's now a woman. And a lot of people said, why didn't he testify? And that's probably because they didn't want it to turn into like, what? Like, Arthur is all of a sudden Anne and, and he is his bitch? Really? In real life? Like, it, it, I'm, no, don't call me and say, I don't need any phone calls. But it just, there was, like, there was no shortage of absurdities in this trial. Like, everyone was absurd. All the lying friends. And, like, you just, this is a movie. Oh, absolutely. Like, and, and the gal that sat beside me, Ann Brocklehurst, is writing a book that will come out in September. And there's no question this is a movie. I, I would not doubt it at all. Uh, now, you know, we go back. The Bernardo case yep. got turned into a, a, just an abysmally horrible yeah. movie. And, I mean, rightfully so. And How do you were outraged. And they were. Uh, I don't. I don't know if people will be outraged if this one. This one has well, a lot more, as you say, a lot more bizarre comical if it wasn't a murder case comical characters because it was they are just so sure and and part of me felt uh and 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 you know the human side of me really wanted to always write with tim in mind because these buildings the courts are designed for the smitches and the millards so mm. it's very easy to forget about tim bosma but what what made this one of the unique features was that this was named after tim bosma the tim bosma trial he was always in my thoughts mm. writing this because uh, you know, it was important that he was kept that's alive. That's rare. I that's mean, that's unusual. why, you know, we're in the building because of of these two, you know, men. But really, we're only in this building because these two men, you know, took and snuffed out Tim Bosman's life. But you, you bring up a great point. It is really unusual because, again, let's go back yeah. on the many of the biggest trials we've had. There's the Bernardo. The Bernardo. There's the O.J. Simpson we talk about. The Casey Anthony. It's always the accused person. In this case, but it's one of the rare Tory times. Stafford's another one where people just... Wrap their arms around this. Do you think it has anything to do? We're going to get to the phones. Do you think it has anything to do with the fact that before we knew who the killers were in this case, we knew the victim. So we, yep. we, that's how Tori Stafford was the same thing. We knew the victim first. Yeah. Although and that's the how Christine the name French and Leslie Mahaffey, I mean, we knew something. Hmm? There was just something about these cases where the community really wrapped their arms around uh, the victim in this and really, really wanted justice. Jeff is on the line. Jeff, how are you this evening? I'm well, Scott, Alex. I, I've got to say, first of all, congratulations to you guys. You did an awesome, awesome job. And funny, I, I just ran into Susan Claremont out in front of the courthouse and congratulated her. The the reporting you folks were doing with social media, I had to stop and pull over to the side of the road because the boys and I were in the truck, and it was flipping my stomach just waiting for the actual results to come in. 
Jeff, thank you very much for the yeah, call. Alex, uh, Alex obviously uh, appreciates the kind words. And, and you know what? I'll say the same thing. Alex, you did a, a yep. magnificent job, and so did Susan, the so did Molly, so did, did everybody uh, down there, Lisa Hefner and uh, everyone else. Um, Patricia, Patricia's on the line. Patricia, how are you this evening? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Good. I just have a comment. Uh, firstly, absolutely thrilled with the verdict. Uh, very, very happy that our justice system has has um, has come to uh, uh, the right, has, has done what needed to be done. Let me just put it that way. And to thank you, Alex, for your incredible uh, reporting. And uh, it's just, yeah, I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Patricia. That's, uh, that's kind of you to say that. There is... Um, I actually feel lucky that I got to cover this. I just, it's really had a profound impact. Uh, it really has. I've covered hundreds of trials, but I will never forget the Bosmas. But what is really interesting, and it gets back really to where we started tonight, was when you are standing outside the courtroom at the end today, yeah. and there are cars driving by and horns honking and people cheering, I got to wonder, is this that people had that connection to the Bosmas and really felt a close tie or do you think was this that people it because it was going for so long and we developed these feelings about who was the good guys and who was the bad guys and the good guys won mm. that well, it was also a bit of you know what this is just good whether you, whether you knew much about the bosmas cared much about the bosmas the good guys won in this case and that's that's a good thing well look tim bosma could have been any one of us who hasn't sold something online? Mm-hmm. Tim Bosma represented everything good in the world of what you're supposed to be. Well brought up, polite, kind, giving, giving to the community, loved, a good father. He just wanted to do the right thing and, and, and downsize his life and make sure that his wife could stay home so they could have another baby. He is everybody what we achieve and aspire to be. And, you know, I think Tim Bosma represents like he could have been any one of us who goes on a ride with his truck and never comes back because who just kills people just for the thrill of it? So that's what makes this case so unique. Thrill kills are very, very, very rare. Thankfully. In all thankfully. of North America. Well, thankfully, but it's not something you hear about every no. day. Uh, we've got a couple minutes here before our next break. Uh, I've got a bunch of emails. Let's do a rapid fire here. Quick answers on these ones. Uh, from... Uh, from Elizabeth. Uh, please tell Alex she did a great reporting job, but how did Millard get mail in and out of jail? I cannot talk about that. I will. It, it, that is a very important story and one that will be told and people will, I will be very, very in, interested in that answer, but I can't unfortunately talk about it. Uh, Dave, Dave Lynn, um, do you think the verdict could be overturned on appeal? No. Um, no. I mean, look, uh, anything's possible. I don't think it will be. Uh, but they will sure as hell try with all their might. But don't forget, there are two other trials. Is there, uh, from uh, John, is there an appeal? Uh, what's the time frame on an appeal if they were to get one? Um, they'll hear back probably within about six months as to whether or not the court will hear it. But I would say that timeline is anywhere from six months to a year, year and a half. And this last question, and I honestly, I don't really get the meaning of it. Maybe there is no meaning. Why was the fact Ellen Millard was left-handed not brought up? Does that mean anything oh, to you? Oh, no, 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 it could have, because for him to be in the driver's seat and to have shot Tim Bosma would have meant, meant that he would have maybe had to lean over in a way that wouldn't have made sense. I mean, uh, that was something that I had thought about, too, um, but it wasn't brought up. It wasn't brought up. 